Hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> Try to get their attention, huh? Yeah, was Welcome. There we go. Welcome. Welcome. Come on in. It is so good to have you here today. And uh, as we are coming into the sanctuary, it's so good to have you here today. Um, we're looking forward to this service. We're looking forward to uh, praising God and hearing him um, elevated in our words and song and um, melody. And we're looking forward to hearing God speak uh, through Pastor uh, Doug this morning. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. You know, I, I was just out for a walk this morning and just seeing the colors and the changes uh, in the season, the beauty of God's handiwork, seeing a fox run across um, the root, uh, route that I was running and um, just the animals and the birds that are there. The heavens declare the glory, the skies above declare his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveal knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words through the ends of the world. In them he set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is to the ends of the heaven, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The first part of Psalm 19 is talking about uh, creation and uh, general revelation and, and what God has created out in this world so that we can see him and know him. And then we get the privilege of special revelation, uh, the book, the Bible that God has given us. We get the privilege of singing from the scriptures. We get the privilege of hearing Pastor Doug preach from the scriptures today. So we get a chance to see the incredible revelation of God. We are awesome and privileged in the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed himself in his word. That is an awesome and amazing privilege. Do not ever take that for granted. Well, this morning, I uh, look forward to uh, inviting you, if you're new to us, there is a welcome center outside to the right of the sanctuary. When you leave the sanctuary, please stop by there. Let us know of your attendance. They have a gift that they would love to give you if you are new here to our group as well. Uh, also there, as I often say, if you are not on our email list, I would encourage you to be on the email list. You can go to the website and get information, thechapelnj.org thechapelnj.org, or you can go and get your name on our email list. And Christina, every week, sends out emails to us. It will have events that are happening here at the church. It will have prayer requests. I would strongly encourage you. Is that Rita back there? Are you back? Yeah, Rita's back. Amen. That is a strong lady. Um, so... It's good to have you back. So um, I encourage you, as Rita was on our prayer list, um, I encourage you to pray uh, for those that are there. So get onto the email list if you're not on there. And let me pray as we open our service this morning. Father, the psalmist said that the heavens declare your glory. The stars and the moon and all of the animals in the world are created to reflect you. We, as the highest of your creation, was created to reflect you. 
but Father, we're rebels. Uh, we, we go against you. We don't display you. We don't honor you. Oftentimes, we are not very grateful to you. Lord, please forgive us for that. Amazingly enough, Lord, you didn't come here to send your son to die and to rise for angels. You didn't send your son here to die for an animal. You sent your son here to die for us. I don't know why. It blows my mind to think that. That we have the privilege of having your son come here to live a life we can never live. To die a death in our place. To rise victoriously and to ascend to heaven. I pray today that we would worship him. As we see creation, Father, help us to worship you, the creator. Help us not to worship creation. And when we see your son today, help us to praise him and honor him and see him as the majestic one today. So fill us with your spirit today, Father. Help us to sing boldly today. Pray for my brother, Doug, as he comes to preach, Father, today. Give him the words that you want us to hear. Help him to preach with clarity and boldness and confidence. And I pray that we would walk out of here honoring you, deciding to follow you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing praise. We were the beggars. 
my sins far away. Rising me justified, freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh glorious day. Sing and 
and bear my shame. The cross has broken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Heavenly Father, this morning we rejoice, Lord, uh, as we bring forth 
praise and exaltation to you, Lord, that you are indeed our living hope. Lord, we have cause to celebrate. We have a hope. We have a future. And God, we look forward to that glorious day when you do return. Lord, that day will be perfect when you return. Lord, our hearts are heavy for Israel. Lord, we pray for peace over your nation, over your people. Lord, we pray for peace around the world. And we know, Lord, there are many wars and rumors of wars and conflicts that are ongoing. But Lord, we do pray for the nation of Israel. Those who are suffering, those who are making decisions, Lord. And we pray that ultimately, Lord, that uh, your strength would be evident, that, Lord, you would be the Savior of Israel. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. reading two passages this morning, first from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, reason for celebration. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And from the book of Revelation chapter 2. Sorry, one moment, please. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, Dave. So we are working through this series Genesis 1 through 11 that we've entitled First Things. And today I'm going to try to kind of give you the rest of the story, if you will. Oh, yes. Children five to eight years of age can be dismissed for junior church. All right, thank you very much. It would have become obvious at some point, right? But so... 
Anyway, poor Don's back there trying to signal me, and nothing quite works sometimes with me. So I, I want you to imagine um, a couple who build their first home, and it is exactly what they want to build. I mean, everything about it, they decide, and the guy is extremely handy, and he actually does the building himself. And when it's done, they both look at it and they say, it's completely beautiful. No flaws, I mean, it's perfect in every way. Well, in the neighborhood, um, it's the jewel of all the homes, as you can imagine. And some people get jealous, one guy in particular, a little bit envious, and, um, oh, and, and I mean, the, the hardscaping, the landscaping, everything's gorgeous. I mean, just perfect, just perfect. So he decides one day he's going to come and rip up some of the landscaping and, and even start a little fire inside of that house. And, and, and he does it. Fire, the house starts on fire, and it's, it's brought under control. They don't lose the house. But it, it's never quite the same. It, it's livable. They, they make changes. Sometimes you can kind of still smell smoke when you're in certain rooms and, and all those kinds of things. One day, they decide to do it all over. And they gut that place out, and they rebuild. They do everything imaginable. And when they look at the final house compared to the first house, because they added rooms and different things, the first one was perfect, but this one's even better, if that's even possible. I would argue for you, with you, that that's really the story of God in creation. There's a first creation that is perfect. At the end of each day, what does God say? It's good. And at the last, sixth day, what does he say? It's very good. I mean, it's just, it's great, but something happens, not because of the builder, but because of another. And folks, the God who has created beauty and perfection because of rebellion of mankind, temptation of Satan, and all of that stuff, which I'm not going to talk about because James is going to get to that. But we live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. Dave was praying for Israel today. It was never meant to be that way from the beginning. That's all part of the consequences of, of sin. And we live in a world where we get tsunamis and earthquakes and it's not supposed to be that way, but the world is under a curse. But one day, it's all going to get redone. And as perfect as the first was, the final one's going to be even better. So what I'd like to kind of talk through with you today is that new creation. Um, but but I, want to, I want to work directly off of Genesis chapter 1 for, for much of that. 
And I want us just to kind of think through what God has actually done. So these wonderful verses that we read about in Jesus Christ. Again, let me pull back. You've seen this before, but perhaps it kind of helps us to see the big picture of what God has done. The Bible storyline starts with creation. There's a fall. And then there's redemption, isn't there? And redemption, there is both what we might call an Old Testament anticipation and then uh, a New Testament realization in two steps, right? So initially with the coming of Christ, everything begins to shift and move. But there's still a future final consummation in which that new creation will be realized at every level. So the new creation language is both used for the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Do you see that? And I, I want to just talk through, this is not, and the other, the other challenge with this is, you know me, I, when I preach, I like to take one text and just work the text. That, that's pretty much it. Today, I'm going to break and do more of a topical approach. We'll be looking at different texts. I don't know how, I didn't know how else to bring all this stuff together. So that's kind of the plan. Um, so so let's, let's kind of talk our way through then the new creation, which, which again is represented in these verses right here. Dave read uh, the Galatians passage for us. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the Colossians passage, but also in Galatians 6.15. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but what? A new creation in Christ with his death, burial, and resurrection, everything changes. Initially, and then ultimately at his second coming. And it's called a new creation in both cases. So what I want to do with the initial, I want to go back to day six in Genesis 1. I'm just going to read one section there, and I want you to see how in Christ, initially, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, how Genesis 6 gets kind of reconfigured because of the new creation in Christ. Does that make sense? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 for just a moment. And I want to read again for you verses 26 to 28. And here are the elements of the first creation. God said, let us make humankind in our image and according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the cattle and over the earth and over every moving thing that moves upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the likeness of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over every animal that moves upon the earth. There's, there's, kind, of, um, there's kind of three elements in there that I want you to see how they get reconfigured in Christ. Okay? Um, the, 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 the first one is the, the image. The second one is uh, filling the earth. Uh, the, the, the third one is subduing the earth and ruling over it. And, and the last one is Sabbath rest. All are mentioned in Genesis 1. 
And all because of sin and everything going south, this all begins to reverse and get turned back because of the coming of Christ. So that you can talk about a new creation because of Jesus Christ. So the image. Well, why don't we go ahead and start there. Read a couple verses here with you. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. And you don't have to pop to all these. If you want to find passages to camp out in, flip over to Hebrews, because we're going to spend some time there here in just a second. And then I'll tell you when to flip over to Revelation. I'll read some other verses around, but we're going to get to Hebrews in just a moment. Um, but I'll read some other ones here. And here's the point. When you think of the new creation initially implemented because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, here's what we learn. We learn that Christ is the ultimate image of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says this. Speaking of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. It goes on. Wonderful stuff. But if people say... I really would like to see God. Well, you can't see God because he's spirit, but you can see the God-man in the incarnation. You see? And, and people are saying, so I, I'm trying to, this whole image that people are supposed to be reflecting God, there is nobody who does it better than Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a wonderful text. And listen when I read it, how you're hearing other stuff from Genesis coming out here. Colossians chapter 4, um, and what, for, uh, verse 4, yeah. Um, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, listen, who is the image of God. And Paul's going to go on to say in verse 6, God has said, light shall shine out of darkness. That's right from Genesis 1. You know how it gets applied here? To conversion. Where God can shine into a dark heart, people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's marvelous. Jesus is the image of God. And Romans tells us this, Romans 8, 29. All these are great passages. I love to preach all the verses around it, but I won't. I'll resist. Romans 8, 29. Listen to this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to what? What did God predetermine you to as a believer in Jesus Christ? What? He predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Do you see? And 2 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to this verse. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. See, Christ is the image of God. He's the God-man. He's the perfect representative in every way. And he says, when you trust me and you're united to me, I want to, over your entire life, transform you step by step by step so that you look more and more like Jesus Christ. And, 
and the way that happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is we pull back and we see his glory reflected as in a mirror. In other words, I, you know, like I didn't, I, I didn't like last night have a dream where I literally saw Jesus. But you know what I have? I have this mirror of his word. And as I read it, again and again and again, I learn what it means to live like Christ. And I ask God through his spirit, as this text says, to make that a greater reality in my life. In the fall, the image is not gone, but the image is marred. But in Jesus Christ, you see it perfectly, and you can then see it progressively in the life of a believer. <laughs> Folks, we're at our entire life. We, none of us are perfect. We'll never be perfect but we should be progressing more and more into that image, which re re reflects God's character and represents God in this world. Jesus does it perfectly. We should be doing it progressively. Isn't that good? The world is a dark place. We were reminded about that again this week. It's tragic. And in the midst of that darkness, God says, let the light shine in the transformation that I can bring into people's lives. And that can then ripple out and you begin to see changes in a world that is so upside down and confused and evil in so many ways. The new creation. I'm not waiting for the whole thing till the end. I'm waiting for the stuff at the end too, for sure. But it's already begun in Jesus Christ. Do you see? You, if you know Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. And God's spirit is within and God is at work beginning step by step, transforming you. None of us do it perfectly. We take three steps forward and one step back. I get it, I know, I know. But he works, and he doesn't let us go. And he transforms us over time. Folks, that's the new creation begun in Jesus Christ. He goes also, also to say this. Um, image bearers of Christ are to multiply among all people groups. Now, this one, I, I, it, you're in Hebrews, so maybe go over to Hebrews chapter 2. I think this passage might help us the best with some of this. There's others. Um, I, I want to stay with me, okay? Because I thought, do I want to go through all this with them? Yeah, why not? Okay, so stay with me. Don't lose me, okay? Don't be thinking about other things. Um, somebody last week came up to me afterwards because I kept using the pot roast illustration. Somebody came up to me afterwards. I think they said something like, I think the pot roast is okay, you know, or whatever, but whatever. whatever. So whatever you're thinking, uh, you can come up with what the illustration is. But I want you to think for just a moment. In the book of Genesis itself, you have this promise of, I want you to procreate and I want you to populate the earth. That's, that's true. And so it's, it, is, it is this ongoing command for humanity. And, and so we talked about babies and all that stuff last week. However, you know what's really interesting to me? The way it gets worked out in the latter part of Genesis ultimately is by giving Abraham a seed. And that seed is going to expand, isn't it? 
And, and with all the failures of, of, of the Jews in the Old Testament, all of that still points to an ultimate seed, doesn't it? Jesus Christ. And in Galatians, when Paul talks about the seed of Abraham, it doesn't mean there's not something for ethnic Israel in the future. I'm not saying that. But when Paul talks about this, he says that believers are children of Abraham. We are his offspring through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So it all gets kind of connected together. And in Hebrews chapter 2, um, this is a wonderful passage and a variety of things are being discussed here. But like in, chapter, in verse 13, you have this interesting quote from Isaiah. And, 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 G, and um, the writer says, speaking of Jesus, and again, quote, I and the children whom God hath given to me, since then the children share in flesh and blood. And in this passage, sometimes Christ, normally Christ is called our older brother. That's true. But this is one of those interesting passages where, in some sense, we're, can, we're called his children. Because we're regenerated by him. And what he wants is his name and his children to spread through the whole earth. And the way that happened is he became one of us. And, and, and specifically to die for us so that we, as his people, could grow. So much so that when you get to Revelation chapter 7, and you know this, this passage too. It's a wonderful text. After these things, verse 9, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands crying out, salvation to our God who sits on the throne in the Lamb. You see, the work that God has started is one that continues to expand as his people fill the earth. It's one of the reasons we're so big on mission, isn't it? We, we want people to go to every place on the earth so that all can hear about the glory and the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, this idea of multiplying and growing gets, gets bound up in Jesus Christ and what should be happening with his people all over the world. Fill the earth with the glory of God as people are swept into the kingdom. So we should reflect the image of Christ. And this mission of filling the earth, it is a strong mission which we have to this day as God's people. Where Jesus says, I want you to go and disciple all nations. It's everywhere. And he goes on to say this. Image bearers fulfill their role on earth as stewards only through Christ. And here's the passage I want to read to you. So if you're in Hebrews, that's a good thing. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 6. It's a really interesting passage. It's quoting from Psalm 8. And let, me, let me read the psalm to you first, because this psalm, Psalm 8, is looking back to Genesis 1, and the whole idea is, should we not be subduing the earth and ruling over it, right? I mean, that's one of the things from Genesis. Listen to what it says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. And one has testified somewhere saying, and this is from Psalm 8, 
Here's the quote. What is man that thou rememberest him, or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him a little while, for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Okay, you see what the psalm is saying, right? The psalmist is going right back to Genesis chapter 1, and he's saying, we're supposed to like be ruling, right? And then the psalmist, then the writer of Hebrews says this, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subjected to him. And I think he's talking about humanity there. Here's the problem. But we do not now yet see all things subjected to him. Like, are we ruling the earth pretty well right now? I mean, like, would you look around and say, oh, yeah, we got that government down. Yeah, that's, that's good. Like, every government's working really, really well. I, I have a student that's going to be coming and staying with us for a, for a week for a, a class. He's coming in. He's a doctoral student. And he's from Rwanda. All of his siblings and his parents were all killed in the genocide in Rwanda. All of them. He's the only one left. A believer pastoring now for the glory of God. The world is a complete mess. The ruling isn't gone well at all. You say, well, there's technological advancements. That's true. But there's often no ethics behind it. You need both. If you don't have a moral base, man, who knows what happens? It's, that's our world. And I'm not like, I'm not down. God does good things too in the world and in America. I get it. I get it. And we should do our part. All true. But we will never bring this world into subjection and be able to rule over it in a way that honors God. Not now. So he says, but we do not now yet see all things subjected to him. Look at this, verse 9. But we do see him who has been made a little, for a little while, lower than the angels, Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, he's been crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You know what he's going to go on to say? The only way there's going to be ruling over this, in this world the way it's supposed to be is through King Jesus. And so we cry out for his second coming. And when you read passages like Revelation chapter 20, you and I, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we will reign with him. Now what's all that going to entail and so forth? There's debates on some of that stuff, but it's going to be good. That's for sure. The creation, because of the fall, gets reconfigured. Because a new creation has come in Christ that will culminate in the future. Christ, the image of God, is making us more like himself. The gospel is to go out into all the world. We one day we'll rule with Christ when he comes back. It's good stuff. And lastly, uh, for this section, huh, don't get your hopes up. Okay. There's only two sections, but there are two sections. Yeah, I mean, lastly on the first section. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay, just, just be clear on that. Okay, yeah. 
image bearers enter into God's rest through Christ. It'd be fun if we had time to go through chapter 3 and 4 in more detail. I, I, I don't have the time, but I'm going to just read two verses to you. Hebrews 4.1 and Hebrews 4.9. Hebrews 4.1 and Hebrews 4.9. Because, and I'll just tell you this, I can't help but say something. He's quoting from Psalm 95. And in Psalm 95, David is speaking, picks up on the rest theme. You know what he says? We, we still have not entered into God's rest. That place where he rules and we submit the way we're supposed to and everything is great. David says it's not working and the writer of Hebrews says, and that's still the case today. Hebrews 4.1, therefore let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. In verse 9, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The way the Sabbath gets reconfigured in Jesus Christ is that there is a day coming where it'll be complete bliss. He will rule completely. We will obey completely and all will be wonderful. But not yet. Not yet. One of the expressions that sometimes scholars will use is the already but not yet. So you're already saved, but you're not yet fully experiencing all that until glory. Right? Already, not yet. And that's what happens with these things. We know Christ, we're being conformed, but that ultimate rest where God is God and everyone is obedient, it's, it's terrific. Not yet. But it's coming. And the reason it's coming is because of Christ. You see, if you don't know Christ, there is no hope. There's hope for you while you're alive to trust him. But to reject him means there's no hope. You can't be conformed to his image. You can't engage in the outreach of the gospel. You, you won't be involved in what happens in the future with him. None of it. But to know Christ makes us people of hope now because of what God is doing then and what he's already doing now through his spirit in us. That's exactly how the New Testament pictures all this stuff. Which is why we, we, we you know, sometimes Christians should be, the, at one level, we, we're, real, we're realists because we know what sin can do in, in the world. But we're optimistic in the midst of that because we know what Christ can do in a life. So, initially what has happened? Christ has come. And to know Christ changes everything. The new creation has begun in Jesus Christ, initially. And ultimately, that will spill over into the impact in the world around us. You know, there's this really interesting passage in Romans 8. You remember, you probably remember reading that, where, where he will describe, Paul will describe the world in which we live and us as groaners. Groaners. We groan. 
We groan because of the pain we experience. We groan because of the pain our loved ones experience. We groan, we groan. And we live in a world, it, creation itself groans because things happen in creation now that were never God's intention from the beginning. It's because of the curse. But that text says, one day, God's people will be completely redeemed. And so will the earth and the heavens. So I'm going to switch gears, if I could, to that aspect. And mention just a couple things to you. See what I got here. Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's the one I want. Um, sometimes I get caught behind on my slides. Actually, that's not the one I want, is it? Uh, I think I want this one. Right. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, good. Okay, that's what I want. All right, so I'll come to this. And, and I, 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 um, what I did this week is, and you know, I, I've done some of this stuff before, but I, I reconfigured it a little bit differently this week. I was, I was just thinking about the new creation. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Um, I, I was just thinking about the way things get reconfigured at the end. Um, and two things kind of struck me. First, and I don't think this is going to take anybody back. I think this is pretty normal to recognize this. The new creation in Revelation reverses the fall. So you go from bad to good, right? Evil to wonder, all, all those kinds of things. And, and when you look at this list, and again, I don't want to spend too much time here only because I don't know if James is doing some of this. And I thought, like, I don't want to, I don't want to step on his text too much. So... I'll try to just move through. I want to get to the next slide. But think about this. The serpent tempts in Genesis 3. And specifically, it says the serpent is removed in Genesis 22 and 3. You see that? Genesis 22. He laid hold of that dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Go down to verse 10. And the devil who deceived him was, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and the false prophets are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Wow. The serpent will be removed. Creation is cursed. We learned that in chapter 3. The curse is removed in chapter 22 and verse 3. It specifically says, and there shall no longer be any curse. It's great. Pain, suffering, and death are experienced in our world. And 21.4 Revelation says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be death. There shall no longer be mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Isn't that wonderful? He has started something in our lives right now. And with all of the issues we face and the questions and the pain and the sorrow, one day, that's all gone. Not yet, but one day. The tree of life in chapter 3 was prohibited. They could not eat of it at that point because they had already sinned. It's so interesting when you get to the book of Revelation, four times the Bible talks about the fact that there's going to be a tree of life and people can eat it till the cows come home. 
have at it because it's just an expression of you're living forever. <clears throat> at one point, no. Now, have at it as much as you want. But where I want to focus, that, that, that in itself is beautiful, but where I want to focus is in the second movement. This was the one that kind of struck me as interesting. Not only does the new creation go from bad because of the fall, not because of the first creation, the first creation was good, goes from bad to good, but the new creation, looking back at the first creation, goes from good to better. Look at what it's, here, just three examples. And if you have Revelation, just have that open. We learn obviously in Genesis 1, God created all things. Look at chapter 21, verse 1, passage Dave read. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Verse 5, he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. The first creation was perfect. It was good. The new creation is even gooder. It's terrible English, but maybe it makes the point. In creation, the first creation, we find the creation of night, the sea, the sun, and the moon. Nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, it's, you like to sleep at night, I like to sleep at night too. I mean, all, all that stuff. But listen to what chapter 21, verses 23 and 25 says. says. Well, 21.1 I should start with. There is no longer any sea. And if you go down to verse 23, the city had no need of the sun, or of the moon to shine upon it. Yeah, but we, we need that now. I know, but you won't then. For the glory of God has illumined it. And the lamb, and, and, and its lamp is the lamb. And the nation shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring the glory, their glory in. And in the daytime, verse 25, and listen to this, this note. For there shall be no night there its gates shall be open and never closed. These are good things in the first creation. But because God is here present in this marvelous way, we won't need the sun and the moon anymore. Well, what's that going to be like exactly? I don't know. I haven't seen the new creation, new earth yet. It's going to be really good. Well, how does that configure? I don't know. But I know the one who knows. And that's what matters at the end of the day. In Genesis, God comes and walks with humanity, which is a marvelous thing. Like, that's precious. Listen to what Revelation tells us in chapter 21, verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Folks, I don't know what that all is going to look like, but I can't wait. The God who walks with humanity in Revelation is the God who dwells with humanity. That's from good to gooder. It's marvelous. So when you read 
about creation, the first creation in Genesis 1, it should make you completely marvel, as we said last week. It should make you fall down before the God who is created and say, you have it all. And when you think of the new creation, <laughs> should, you should just weep and, and, and cry out in praise and then weep some more and praise again. You've had those weird experiences, right? Where you're, you're crying, where you're like, I'm like, I'm like complete schizo. But no, it's okay. It's all part of the process, you know. And, and, and it's God is at work. That's what he does in the new creation. The first creation should make us all. The new creation should make us worship even more. Because the God who has started is the God who will finish. That's who he is. And so maybe I'll leave it, leave it with you like this. I preached a little bit longer than I wanted to last week. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to let you off a little bit earlier today. Here you go. But don't count on it in the future. I'm just saying. All right. That's just for this week. Here's kind of the takeaway that I want you to really think about this week. Uh, oh, 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 no, no. I had one more to show you. I made this up. I might as well show it to you, right? Here's just kind of maybe a simple diagram that helps you think that through. There is the first summer, which is really good. Good, good, good. There's fall, there's winter. It's not so good. Things begin to turn in the spring, but it doesn't return to the first summer. It creates a different summer, which is gooder than the first. Because the God-man has come and walked among us. And he changes everything. So maybe we can say it this way. The new creation, which has been initiated in Christ's first coming with his death, burial, resurrection, I should say incarnation, death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation, and will be consummated in his second coming, significantly transforms the way believers live in Christ now and will completely transform the way believers experience God and his creation in the future. Or pithier, the new creation in Christ brings us joyful purpose in the present and praiseworthy hope about the future. It's hard to be people of joy in a world of so much pain and hurt. But we can have peace and joy even in the midst of our groaning. Isn't that true? Because it's a settled assurance that God is there and at work. God is at working in, in me now. He's working in you now. And he will continue until Christ comes back. And then we will bask in the glory and the wonder of what he does. And it makes us praiseworthy of the hope that's coming. I, I, I hope that we live as joyful, thankful people. Not because we deny what goes on around us. It's, it's, it's hard. But we know the one who is over it. And he's up to something. And it's his glory and our good. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we are on all of you when we think of creation. You're completely awesome, majestic, mighty. What, what we see around us is unexplainable any, 
it has no other explanation but you. And yet, Father, because of where we find ourselves in this world, we rejoice that you are the God who has entered into our story through Jesus Christ so that we can become part of your story, Lord. We can begin to experience that new creation in Christ, knowing that we'll experience it in all of its fullness when Jesus Christ comes back. Help us to be people, men and women, of joy and hope and thankfulness because of you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home 
What joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow With humble adoration And then proclaim My God, how great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Then sings my soul Father, we come before you this morning in awe of your greatness. Father, you created everything we see and everything we can't see for your glory and for our joy, Lord. We are so unworthy, and yet you choose us. You, cho you chose to give your son on a cross to redeem us, to buy us back when we had gone astray. When we were your enemies, you pursued us and loved us. Father, your greatness is so beyond anything we can possibly imagine. And we cannot wait for the day when we see you face to face, when we get to dwell with you, Father. Thank you. It is such a small word to cry out to you, Father, but we say thank you, Lord. You are the most perfect Father we could ever ask for. And we praise you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. <laughs> 